The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Welcome to the first ever episode of The Randomizer, the <laughs> latest bonus episode for Canceled Too Soon's pilot season, in which we're trying out a whole bunch of new podcasts, and our Patreon subscribers get to decide which one goes to series. My name is William Bibiani, I'm a film critic for the internet, and everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold, and people call me Drake Smoke. Drake Smoke and I are going to be... <laughs> This is actually no, just, nobody calls me Drake Smoke. I just made that up. That's kind of an odd one. Uh, the idea behind the randomizer uh, is Whitney and I review all of these shows on Cancel Too Soon that are kind of condensed. They only had one season or only mm. a couple episodes or only one episode. There's, so get, a, there's an end point to everything we do. So everything that we review in usually in Cancel Too Soon, we get all the context, we get everything together, we see it from beginning to end, and... We can't do that with everything. Like, we couldn't do that with, like, a really long-running series like Gunsmoke, because we don't have the time. Because Gunsmoke <laughs> was on for decades. Like, it was insane. So, or was that Bonanza? No, Gunsmoke was Gunsmoke, the one that was on forever. Yeah. yeah. But Bonanza was on for a while, too. True. My point is, is that, you know, we're not experts in every television show ever, and we actually have some pretty big kind of holes mm. in our... Research, T- education? TV education. Yeah. TV experience. Uh, me more than you. Uh, a little I, bit. I, th- I think you watched more hit sh- I kind of gave up on new TV at some point. There, there's, there was a study, I remember, uh, my wife pointed it out to me, about uh, how you consume music depending on your age. Uh, and at some point you... Uh, like when you're young, you, you listen to the radio a lot and you're into all of the new music and you're sort of up on the hip stuff just because that's what's around you. And you go to the record store, you go to the download store and you just pick out all of the, the new hot songs and you continue that habit because it's still sort of around you and you're still concerned with it up until the age 33. The study found that the age 33 <laughs> is the, like the, the very solid cutoff point of age when you stop paying attention to new music, you get... And you start getting more old music than new music. Mm -hmm. Because I think by 33, your tastes are so firmly codified that you're willing to explore musical history a little bit more. You're a little bit more adventurous about going back. Or or you just found the bands you like and you start kind of exploring that world of their discography. Mm -hmm. And just all new music is gone to you. You've become the person you've become. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) You've become a 33-year-old. And with television, I think it's a little different, though, because music is something you can enjoy somewhat passively. Mm -hmm. Whereas television, you know, it's a visual medium and it's a long-form medium. And you have to really commit to a new show a lot of the time. Now, granted, the invention of things like DVR and even putting shows out on DVD has made it easier to catch up on other shows, but even so, watching every show is really, really difficult and it's a huge time sink. Mm. So everyone has a... I guarantee you, everyone listening here, if you think about it, there's some big show, some long-running show 
that you've never seen an episode of. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, maybe it's maybe you're catching up on all the neat recent cool stuff, but like, you never saw an episode of Chicago Hope. Yeah, I have never or, seen an episode of Chicago Hope. I'm not sure I know anyone who's seen an episode of Chicago Hope, but it was on forever. Or or Mash or Walk, Walker Texas Ranger. There's or, something. Or even like going back to like you know My Three Sons or some of the old classic sitcoms. Those things are just fading more and more into history. And we don't have the time to really delve into and explore those. And so this is an idea we've bandied back and forth. It's been suggested by a lot of our listeners to sort of look at a show that neither of us are familiar with. At least outside of maybe generally understanding its existence and the basic concept. And we t- pick an episode at random. Mm-hmm. And then we just sort of try to extrapolate from there. <laughs> like then, what what the show was, where it came from, and where it was going. And now we're not like doing anything like looking up online about what are supposedly the best episodes of the show. Mm-hmm. Or the worst episodes of the show. Or the craziest episodes of the show. The whole point is to literally just pick one mm-hmm. at random. And we were debating about how to do this. You had the scheme where you were going to get like a 20-sided die. Yeah, like an 8-sided die. And, I went to, the, went to the die store and it was closed that day. No, Oh shit! Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so you actually came up with a fun one. You just asked me randomly. I didn't even know what you were doing for my favorite episode of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Because <laughs> I know it was a show that we have both seen, and it was on for about as long as the show we ended up picking, which mm. is Desperate Housewives. Um, and you asked me what my favorite episode was, and I gotta tell you something. Mm. That was hard. It's hard to just think of your favorite. Yeah, because well, I surely had like two or had like two or three favorites though, like. Like notable ones. Yeah, so I ended up picking the Star Trek uh, Deep Space Nine episode In the Pale Moonlight, which is one of oh. the darkest episodes of any Star Trek show, but it blew my mind when I saw it. And it was all about Cisco, uh, uh, Captain Cisco, and his biggest moral and ethical compromise in mm. the middle of a war. Yeah. And it really... Like he, he, he took something hostage that he should not have. and Yeah, he, he did something wrong. Yeah. He did it for what he thought were the right reasons, and at the end, he decides he's fine with that. Uh-huh. And that's real dark. <laughs> so that really uh, 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 made an impression on me. So I picked episode 619, mm-hmm. and then you said, fine, that's the episode of Desperate Housewives we're doing. So let's... let's <laughs> season give Season 6, episode 19. Let's give a listen to uh, season 6, episode 19, Desperate Housewives... Great title, We All Deserve to Die. (laughs) Perfect way to start. All new, ABC Sunday. Ah, the things we do for love. Like protect a son. He's making the biggest mistake of his life. I'm gonna beg you for Or have a baby. Our egg donor backed out. Take mine, my eggs. Yes, you can even love someone to death. I am the true love. ABC's Desperate Housewives, all new Sunday at 9, 8 central on ABC. Okay, so that guy's name, Drake Smoke. I'm Drake Smoke. So we got, that's a great bedroom voice right there. Doesn't that sound like he should be selling you like, you know, like, like, uh, like brandy in a, in a commercial like you, you've had a long night. Um, You know. The mood can strike at any time. So, Desperate Housewives is a dramedy, mm-hmm. as my as I understand it. It, uh, it aired on ABC. It lasted eight seasons. Yep. I knew that. I knew the four lead actors. What did you know before? Okay, about Desperate Housewives I, before watching I, this episode. Okay, I knew it was mostly soap opera. I knew it had a comedic angle, which is one of the things people really liked about it. I also knew it occasionally got real dark. Mm. That people would die, or that people would get killed, or or, or whatever. Um, I knew it starred Terry Hatcher. 
Yeah. Felicity Huffman, mm-hmm. Marsha Cross, and Ava Longoria. And I knew that eventually John Barrowman was in it. So I was very oh, pleasantly okay. surprised to find out he was in one of our epi- he was in our ah. episode. Um, uh, I, I didn't John Barrowman from uh, Doctor Who and the spinoff Torchwood, and of course Shark Attack Three Megalodon. Of course, which is one of the best Megalodon and movies. and De Lovely. He had a, an interesting oh. role in De Lovely. I actually didn't know he was um, in that. Um, he's an actor I quite enjoy, and I and indeed I'm not super familiar with the work of Marsha Cross in particular, but I've liked Terry Hatcher on TV and in movies. Mm-hmm. Same with Felicity Huffman. Same with Ava Longoria. So it's actually kind of weird that I never watched Desperate Housewives because <laughs> I grew up watching soap operas with my mother. Yeah, in particular as the Will Turns, which I've talked about before and canceled too soon, and. One of my biggest complaints with soap operas is that they moved really slowly. Like yeah. as well, turns well they were they were daily shows. They were daily shows. It was an hour long show, mm. uh, you know, forty forty five minutes with commercials, and they had multiple storylines going on every episode. Like every episode, typically switched between three or four subplots, mm. but sometimes some only like one plot point would happen a week. Yeah, and a part of that was because people knew that, like you know, not everyone's going to see every episode, so you don't want to move mm. too quickly, and then people get lost and like mm. can't follow along anymore. But at the same time, watching it like on summer vacations with my mom, I got real impatient because there were all these really cool subplots, and I was like, "What if you just jammed them all together and made it like really fast paced? Like, how cool would that be?" Mm. And watching this random episode of Desperate Housewives was a lot like that. Okay, like it was a really eventful soap opera. So even though I was thrown in the deep end, stuff happened. It was <laughs> well, an eventful we, episode. We, we assume. I'm not sure how dramatic this is. Mm. And uh, given the title of the show, I thought it was going to be all about infidelity. Mm. Desperate Housewives. These are housewives. They're desperate. They're at home. The phrase desperate housewives, I think, comes from a category of porn. And... Uh, I've, and, I've and, never heard that. I don't know. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah I, I had heard the phrase desperate housewives to describe, well, like, por- pornographic spreads I, more than before I, I ever heard of the show. I thought it was relating to the idea of living a life of quiet desperation, of mm. which we'd heard in certain, like, sort of Douglas Sirk-type melodramas about family oh, and suburban okay. life in the 1950s, or even going back to, like, uh, is it Ibsen's The Dollhouse? Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of level where the, here are housewives and, you know, they're sort of living these, you know, sort of conventional lives and then crazy stuff happens. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also, for a moment, I thought maybe they, they weren't neighbors and lived really far apart and had very different experiences, which is why it was called disparate housewives. But that, that turns out disparate housewives. Ah, okay, <laughs> that's a different word. Okay, I thought it was. Yeah, I I only ever heard like click here for desperate housewives. That that sort of thing. <laughs> I don't know. But my yeah, experience with the phrase me. is a little different. That's new to me. Uh, yeah, I knew the four actresses. Um, I, I I knew. Yeah, it was kind of a soap. I knew it was really frantic. I thought it was like more kind of thriller-esque as well. Mm. Like there was going to be a lot more violence. Like more Twin Peaksy. Early Twin Peaks. Uh, a lot more like late night Skinamax kind of thrills. It's mm. like I was I've been having an affair with my eighth pool boy this TV series and oh no, he's threatening to out me to my boss or something, so I have to like murder him or cut off his hands or do something really horrible. I thought it was gonna be a little a little bit more edgy. Yeah. Uh, turns out it's a lot more like a sitcom. It's, it's a sitcom it's slash a, nighttime a, soap opera, it, yeah, Melrose cr- Place kind of. a cross-section between a soap and a sitcom. Which is a, actually a very appealing approach, and it's not mm. unlike a Cancel Too Soon series we reviewed mm. recently, GCB. 
And I was going to mention, this is like GCB with slightly less interesting characters. And, and I like the not, characters on GCB a lot more. And it's not as laugh-out-loud funny. There are a couple yeah. of good jokes, but for the most part, this is really straddling the line mm-hmm. between the, drama and comedy. Like, t- take the Christian Chenoweth character out of GCB and you have Desperate Housewives. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so... As with the soap operas that I watched, uh, the show cuts between a series of different subplots. Every mm-hmm. one of the main characters, uh, Terry Hatcher plays a character named Susan. Felicity Huffman plays a character named Lynette. Mm-hmm. Marsha Cross plays a character named Bree. And Ava Longoria plays a character named Gabrielle or Gabby, as she's most commonly called in this episode. <laughs> um, and uh, they they meet a little bit in the middle, but it's kind of just one for cute gag. They're all kind of on their own separate kicks. Yeah. So let's take them one at a time. The first one we meet uh, is Gabby. Mm-hmm. Ava Longoria uh, has uh, married gay neighbors who are fighting over they want to have a child and they and recently lost their uh, surrogate mother. Mm-hmm. Like she quit. She decided not to do it. Yeah, they had, they had an egg donor. Uh, I think they were both going to fertilize the egg. I don't know. And, and yeah, and then uh, and she was going to carry their child to term and they would be able to raise a child. Mm-hmm. And in sort of a, a fit of helpfulness, uh, Ava Longoria says, hey, I can do it. Use my eggs. And they have. OK, so the show has a narrator who treats it kind of like a fairy tale. She talks about like, yeah. oh, I neighbors, neighbors are a thing. I don't know who the narrator is supposed to be. It's, it's, it's just a disembodied voice. I feel like we're and being it's... read The Princess Bride by like Fred Savage's grandmother instead <laughs> of grandfather. Oh. And it's got like a kind of, she's got like a different take on it. Like, have you ever read The Princess Bride? Oh, you know Bride? who it is? It's Mrs. Columbo. There you go. If you ever read <laughs> Princess Bride, which by the way, it's a great book as well as a movie. Mm. The gag in The Princess Bride is that uh, William Goldman, the author... Uh, at the beginning of the book, talks about how his father read him The Princess Bride when he was a kid, and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And now he wanted to, and now he gave the book to his kid, and his kid wouldn't read it because he said it sucked. And he's like, "How dare you?" <laughs> and he looked at the book, and he realizes his dad cut out all the boring parts. <laughs> so like he like edited all the boring parts out and republished the book with only the interesting bits. Oh, that's fun! It's a fun little gag. And so I was thinking, like, what if like there's a version of this book that like is being read to a young Fred Savage, but now like we're cutting out different bits, and now it's a weird sitcom soap opera murder thing because that's what the person editing the book thought was i don't know so that's the kind of vibe i got it was like we're being told a story at bedtime um and she's talking about how good neighbors good neighbors do all Mm. kinds of things for each other and when gabby says i'll be your egg donor the narrator says something to the effect of even say they'll do things they can't possibly do and i'm watching i'm like why can't she does she does she not like is she is she incapable of having kids? Like, yeah, I well, didn't, she she has two daughters and a husband. I so, didn't yeah. know that at the time. Well, so I'm we, as we learn later in the episode, I'm yeah. trying to describe the process of watching it without knowing any of that. Right. So I was very confused, and it turns out the reason why she can't do it is because she's her f- husband would disapprove. Her husband mm. is apparently a very wealthy guy who threatens to take away her credit cards, but she hid them. So he's like, okay, fuck it, I guess go ahead. <laughs> Mildly I'll t- funny. I'll take away your credit card, which, which does a great disservice to the character. A bit. Like she's just a, a shopaholic, really. That's her character trait. She, she shows up the first time we see her. She's in a track suit, so I assume she ran track. I think that was just what she wore around town. Ah. I mean, you, you go out in the street and you, know, you you see people wearing yoga clothes, whether or not I assume they do yoga. I, for a long time, I assumed they were doing yoga, but I've come to the conclusion that not that many people could possibly be doing yoga. Why not? It's a perfectly good pastime. I suppose so, but I think people just put on yoga pants and go out into the world. I think it's just fashion now. 
eh. Anyway, as, <laughs> so I think she's just wearing a tracksuit because she likes the look of it. As her plot, oh, uh, they yeah. Also, they all live on a street called Wisteria Lane. This is something actually new going in. I heard the name because yeah. I've seen Wisteria Lane at the Universal Backlot tour. The the actual like little set cul-de-sac of houses. The I've, exteriors are all uh, in the Universal. Backlot. I've been to events mm-hmm. at Wisteria Lane. Like they had, um, uh, what did they do? They had like the junket for Get Out. Okay, like on Wisteria Lane. Yeah, like for like the home video release of Get Out, you can like interview. Oh, it's fine. Like, it's like red... a, a like a this fake looking suburb. That's yeah. kind, of, kind of appropriate. It, I it think. was very apropos. Yeah. Like it was it was kind of cool. So yeah, like they do things there. That 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 whole street is it's, like an outdoor back lot, and it's been used in a bunch of different movies yeah. and TV shows. And for a while, it was very iconic for being Wisteria Lane, mm-hmm. apparently. Uh, um, I don't. I don't know what city it's in, though. It's just it's never basic said. American suburb. It's not said in this episode, yeah, and, I have and, no idea. And or what state? It could be any state. It could be anywhere, and because it, it's all very clearly shot on a back lot, like none of the streets like have any sort of description at all. And I, you, like you squint a little bit, and you see the good place around the corner. And I think know, it has this. Th- I like that fakey quality to it, though, because it makes it feel, even though you recognize that the characters have thoughts and opinions and dramas that may or may not be recognizable to you but you know they're human mm. it makes it, them more universal it makes them more <laughs> universal uh-huh. but no it makes it makes them make it more universal it makes them more arch and as a result you can get away with some of the broader storylines that we mm. get in this episode so to continue with gabby's storyline she says she'll be their surrogate mother and then later in the episode, she sits down with them to talk about what their plans for the child, and then she starts talking about it like it's her child as well. Mm. And they had to sit down with her and say, hey, yeah. Um, it's not going to be yours. You're not going to raise it. We're going to raise it. I mean, yeah. you can be in its life, I guess. I never say she can't. But they do say, we were going to move. So the kid's mm. not going to be next to you the whole time. And then she's really upset and it totally like not what she thought was going to happen at all. And then the next time we see her... It's, it's like we skipped a scene in which she convinced her husband to go over there and say, I disapprove, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to let you do this. And so basically, because she did not want to be around her progeny, uh-huh. she screwed them over, and it breaks up their marriage. <laughs> like, those two guys, like, they, they break up. Uh-huh. And I'm like, that's some fucked up shit. That's really, like, her selfishness really hurt people. Like and herself, like ooh, she, she's selfish, but like I don't dislike sh- her. I get sh- her, but like it's too fucked up. And the show, I feel like the show doesn't really judge her for that. She's too still sort of like bubbly, and like her her moment is she's looking at her own daughters and thinking, oh, I just I wish I could spend time with you. And it's like she doesn't ever say, oh, geez, I I don't realize what a horrible impact I have on other people's lives by making these really flip decisions. I was bummed that there wasn't a more satirical element of that, because I think you could have a story like that where she does something that, on one hand, it's nice, on one hand, it's selfish, because mm-hmm. she says that she wanted to have a boy and she only had two girls, mm-hmm. and this is an opportunity to have one. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Uh, <laughs> and to, to give birth to one, anyway. To give birth but... to one and, then be, and to live, she presumes, next door to it. Mm-hmm. And... When she finds out that's not the case, she does something selfish and she backtracks it. Mm-hmm. And th- that's complicated. And I understand it. I-, I disapprove, but I understand it. And it would have been kind of nice if the show had used that arch mentality to be more judgy and say, like, we like her, but she does horrible things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something they had the freedom to do. And maybe they do it more in the rest of the series, but I'm not seeing it here. The movie is very much on the everyone's show, the series, side. Yeah. Um, 
And that's where we leave it. We leave it off with like her looking at her sad neighbor, like watering his plants and looking all bummed, uh-huh. like in the montage from Opposite of Sex. He's just like, <laughs> oh man. <sighs> My neighbor sucks. That, that, yeah. Mm. Yeah, she really does. And it's Ava Longoria, which helps because she is one of the most inherently likable actors. She's well, really likable. I've never seen her not be likable, even when she's playing like a mm. villain. So, like, I want to like her, but she did something really shitty. Yeah. Yeah, so that hurt. And I'm, maybe the next episode was going to be... Her, her facing the music. I would but like yeah, there to find out there, there's, that she actually like. You there's know. no facing the music, and the only way she feels bad about her decision is how it affects her. So she's really horrible and selfish. Yeah. Um, now we have Marsha Cross, who's also horrible and selfish. Uh, <laughs> she uh, she's trying to uh, get a cookbook published. Like she is a. It's not established very well. I think you're supposed to know going in that what her big ambition is, and it's to become a, a, a famous au- chef, famous chef or cookbook author. And I can't honestly tell if she owns a restaurant or if she owns like a fancy catering service. She cooks and mm. she's very good at it, but like I don't honestly understand what her format is. Mm. Um, so at the beginning of it, we find out that she has pitched a new cookbook. And she's very proud of it. It's going to be great. Problem is, she has a son who works for her, and her son found out he just has, I guess it's a half-brother, because it's not Marsha Cross's kid. Yeah. So her son has a brother that Marsha Cross doesn't have another son. And he has come in from out of the blue, claiming he has an MBA in marketing, mm. and that he is here to help with the family business. And, and Marsha Cross immediately put him in charge as a, in a gesture of goodwill. Yeah. And then her real son, or, or, or you know, he, mm. he says, hey, listen, and, I and did unfor- some- And unfortunately, the son and the half-brother look so alike that I had trouble keeping them apart. Which I actually appreciate because they look like brothers. On the other hand, I'm stepping in in the middle of this, and I have no idea who's who. Yeah. yeah. Here's what I was able to figure out. Mm. The re- We're just going to call him real son and fake son. Okay. okay? We, <laughs> fair, know, fair. we know he's not Mar- Marsha Cross's son, but that's mm. just going to keep it simple real son did some digging found out the guy doesn't actually have an mba in marketing Mm. fake son immediately turns it around like a mad genius and says you're right i i didn't complete my my mba because Uh, because i had a sick mother i had a sick mother and i had to take the last few weeks off of school and the school let me graduate with the rest of my class even though i still have a few more credits i need to finish my degree and i was gonna do it at night school and i was gonna be with my family (laughs) and 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 the son is so frustrated because he's like damn it that's legit damn it damn it i have no excuse for that so marcia cross is of course very disappointed in her son and very supportive of fake son Mm. But then she tries to open her restaurant, and in this weird twist, everything goes wrong. Well, what happens is, her in, to retaliate against Real Son, Fake Son finds out that Real Son has scammed free booze. Like, he, mm. there were parties that had, like, six cases of wine, and he only delivered five, and he took that case for a party of his own. And, which is wrong. Yes, and he did it. Stealing, he, yeah. he admits he did it. And Marsha Cross takes him to task for it, and he says, you don't understand, this guy's manipulating us. And she says, don't push me. And then he puts up one finger, and he just pokes her. And so she <laughs> fires him, and he leaves. And, and then it, the camera, like, tilts up to fake sun smirking, going, <laughs> like it's in shadow of a doubt or something. <laughs> like, you know, in every... But, si- it, but what did he do? Oh, what did he... What Did he, what? D- did he, like, swap out the booze, or was that just a mistake? I think he really did it. Okay. Like, he says he did it. He, mm. he The son, real son cops to it. Mm. Um, now she's got to actually, like, in order to prove the cookbook is worth making, she's going to cook 
the recipes for all of the publishers. And when she gets to like to to start uh, uh, serving, her agent, her talent agent, or literary agent, mm-hmm. who is drunk, says, uh, "Yeah, yeah, I gotta tell you something. No one wants this book. Like, no one mm-hmm. cares. Like, the, the this is your only shot. And if you don't wow them with your food tonight, you'll mm-hmm. probably never work in this town again. And we'll like." kill you and bury you by the railroad tracks like it seems really apocalyptic how he makes it sound I'm like she's probably okay like this cookbook re- fails you will die yeah it sounds like everything is on the line mm. and that's when she finds out that the sherry she was using uh to marinate her ribs was actually replaced with vinegar and now it tastes like vinegar and, yeah. the- and everything is horrible and it's all gonna taste like shit and, and people have already been like given their plates, and the only thing she can do is set off the fire alarm. The, the extinguishers because, go out. Oh God, because this is an episode of different strokes. <laughs> the only way to get out of it is to hold a, a lighter to the fire alarm. The other option, or in her she, case, a creme brulee torch, which is way more dramatic. Yeah. The other option she could have done would be to hide under a pile of coats and hope everything works out. Okay. <laughs> or Evie from out of this world steps in and uses <laughs> the superpower of the week to cause somebody to like say something they didn't want to say nice she hypnotizes somebody with alien powers would have been awesome um i love out of this world i watched that show when i was a kid i didn't um (laughs) maybe we could do it someday if we keep the randomizer going because eventually we're going to run out of big shows that neither of us have seen and we'll have Mm. to do one or the other that one of us sort of giggle as one of us tries to figure it out uh so our, our Marsha Cross mm. is told by fake son that real son must have done it. And then she goes to her husband, boyfriend, brother, I'm not sure, Kyle McLaughlin, mm. who says, well, uh, no, we're in a television show. And it's real obvious that this guy is manipulating you because, duh. So you should probably <laughs> focus on real son and assume that the mysterious guy of mystery with the mysterious past and questionable motives mm. is a mysterious guy of mystery with, with questionable motives. And maybe you shouldn't trust him. And she's like, oh. Wouldn't it be great if Kel McLaughlin actually was like this weird sort of fourth wall breaking character who realized he was like trapped in a soap opera? That would be fun. That would have been really fun. Would have added an interesting wrinkle to the show. But like he's so on point, like he's just thinking everything the mm. audience is thinking that it was actually really refreshing. Yeah. Because I've seen this plot in like every sitcom, mm. like ever, where like you know there's the there's the rapscallion kid and Mr. Belvedere or something, and like he's got like a friend who everyone loves, but the friend is doing all the awful things, mm. but the kid is the protagonist of the show. Keeps blaming. The- the, the main kid and yeah, yeah 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 and then finally he's, he's like, like <laughs> i was right and all we had to do was burn mm-hmm. down a tire factory or whatever it was <laughs> like something across uh, the line we caught you you're kicked out of the lunaversity <laughs> <laughs> yeah basically yeah. um okay so that's subplot b uh-huh. uh subplot c is felicity huffman felicity huffman now this is actually the big one Actually, let's skip her. Let's let's hold Terry for last. Right. Terry Hatcher's one's pretty straightforward. Uh, Terry, Terry Hatcher's uh, husband is a plumber. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not doing well, and his car has been repossessed. His like plumbing truck, so he he yeah. doesn't have access to plumbing jobs. He can't drive far away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it so, turns out that he has not been able to pay the bills on that truck for a while, and he has been too proud to say anything. And Terry Hatcher says, "Listen, I just sold the strip club. I have a lot of money," and I'm like. <gasps> I missed something. That sounds like yeah. an interesting subplot. Yeah, uh, evidently she. Yeah, she's like super wealthy. She's, she's got in, money. In, in, yeah. So, but he wants to be on his own two feet, mm. and the pride has gotten in the way. So she wants to give him the money to say, "Just pay off the truck. We have it's our money together. I don't mm. care." And he's like, "No, male pride." And so, my penis. Why? <laughs> so she, what happens is she catches her kid 
who had overheard about the money troubles trying to break their plumbing because then dad will have work. And she's like, no, 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 no. And you know what? She very judiciously and very calmly explains that only works when it's not our own plumbing. Like she doesn't push the kid away. Why are you shoveling sod down our kitchen sink? (laughs) (laughs) But then she gets the grinchy idea. I could go to all my friends and I could break their plumbing and I just give them the money to pay him. Mm -hmm. And that way they're, they're inconvenienced to briefly. He has work and feels productive and he gets all the money I wanted to give him. Everyone wins. Uh So there's this montage of her going to all the other desperate housewives and like literally pouring sod down down their the, bathtubs and, and stuff, which and raises bra- the question their of toilets. he's gonna know that's weird. Yeah, why 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 is there like fifty pounds of sod in your bathtub? Well, well, I was I giving a- my bags of sod a bath, and <laughs> well, one thing led to another. You know? <laughs> so uh, he comes back and he's like. He's immediately suspicious. Well, he's suspicious because he finds her earring in the sod. Well, more, first <laughs> like he says... That's the thing that really throws... First him. he says, you know, wow, what a weird coincidence. I lose my truck and then all of a sudden there's all these plumbing jobs right on my street and I can walk to all of them. And she's like, yeah, isn't that great? And tries to distract him. Hey, want to have sex? I also found your earring. Really dirty sex, she says. <laughs> um... And, and he, he, tries call, to, and he, he calls her on he it. He tries to pull the car. Well, great. Now everyone knows I have financial problems. He's like, everyone saw your truck get towed. Yeah. <laughs> they know. They know. <laughs> yeah. So he leaves. And then there's this weird moment where and he's... he's a, and he's a whiny little jerk. And I don't like him. And I, why so, is she married to that guy? I, I don't honestly yeah. know. Like, she seems... I mean, she's... That's a very Lucille Ball conspiracy. Like, yeah. relatively harmless, you know, once it's revealed, you might have a minor, small argument about it. But then, like, yeah, like, that's pretty minor. And then it turns out that the truck was the least of it. He's been in serious financial straits for, like, eight months. And he is fucked. And he's, like, super deep in debt. And he he's, he's worried that she doesn't even have enough money to cover. Like, if it was just the truck, he wouldn't care. Mm. Like, he's been overselling it because they are screwed. And he has this big, long, creepy monologue. And we don't know who he's talking to. And I'm like, is he talking to Satan? Like, how, how <laughs> weird and scary is this? And then it turns out he's talking to Ava Longoria's husband. And I'm like, is that weird? Do they not know each other? Do they hate each other? Is he going to like... Because then he just pulls out a checkbook and says, how much do you need? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, that's got to be a big plot point, right? It's got to be like, is Ava Longoria's husband like an asshole? And he's going to like lord it over this guy and like foreclose on their house? Like, Like, what's the... Like, when you're in debt in real life, it sucks. And you're stressed out all the time. And you're worried about who you're in debt to, whether it's a person or a bank. But when they do it on a soap opera, it's like such a boring plot point. Because that is such an everyday moment of stress. It's like, I want to watch a soap opera to get the sod down the drain story. Because that's not something I can quite relate to. And it's kind of fun fantasy when you're just talking about some boring guy being in debt to his neighbor. Yeah. It's like... Well, what can we do here? Well, he's in debt to his neighbor. Now he owes his neighbor. Yeah. Like, it's uh, unless his neighbor is like a pimp and like asks him <laughs> to do like something sexual oh, or criminal. Oh, no. Mr. Ripley loaned me money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have me do horrible shit. Like, okay. Uh, you can pay off your debt, but you, you have to like bury this hooker. You know, whatever no. it is. Something really dramatic. Really, really bad. Like that's that that seems like the kind of thing we do. But you're right. As a plot point, that's the sort of plot point that I think when you're young, mm-hmm. you generally understand understand it like oh the guy's in debt so he'll like do this heist yeah (laughs) i I get it it always seems like a huge overreaction the older you get and the more you realize how paralyzing even a small amount of debt can be Uh that's when you realize like no i totally get the heist thing 
Like, I totally get it. I get I, the I, fantasy. I, I, I would never do it, but I get the fantasy. Like, well, I totally understand if, it. If I, if I could do a heist, I would only need X dollars. Yeah, like, that's 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 the thing. Like, I totally... That's one of those things that really only makes sense when you're, like, 35 and up. Here, here's something. I watched uh, uh, Get Shorty. And, oh, yeah. they, and they give me a great idea if I ever get involved in a heist. Oh, good. Tell everyone now. Well, I mean, it's in Get Shorty, but... <laughs> Uh, uh, David Paymer scams a lot of money off of a, 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 an insurance company, and he stores it in like a duffel bag in his hotel closet. And John Travolta breaks in, and is like, "I found all your cash. Why do you just keep it in a bag?" It's like, "Well, I can't store it in a bank. They report it to the IRS." And and uh, John Travolta says, "Yeah, you're right. You put it in a safe deposit box." It's like, "Oh yeah, what a great idea! You can keep it in a bank without it having to." Be- what a great idea, crime movie. <laughs> From the nineties, hey, Mickey if Blue I'm, Eyes had a good idea for money laundering. That's true. Yeah, we got an auction house. Yeah, use it to launder. Uh, use it to launder some money. Sweet. <laughs> so I have all kinds of great ideas on how to break the law. <laughs> Whether I actually do it is another issue. Mm. Um, so I guess that gets resolved, but we'll see because it really does make it seem like super sinister. Like yeah. Evelyn Gurry's husband, like he's got money. He seems mm-hmm. like a nice enough guy, but maybe as a businessman, he's a shit. Who knows? Yeah, maybe so. Um, maybe he's got a meth lab. So he's got a, It has to be something really like severely criminal for that to pay off in any sort of satisfying or way. Or something. Like, yeah. It's super weird. So then we have the Ava. Sorry, the Felicity Huffman mm. uh, storyline, and that's that goes in unexpected well, directions. Felicity man. Huffman seems like the most relatable human character. Everybody else is really broad. Uh, Marsha Cross's character is like. She, she uh, this is this is going to date me. She reminds me of Bianca from Beverly Hills Teens. Um wow. she is like like the the rich bitch, the the really mean one. She's she always seems really sour about everything. She's really concerned about money. She's the the alpha predator of the group. Yeah. Eva Longoria seems like almost like the sidekick. She's like just the the good-natured <sighs> smiley one. Like mm. she she doesn't seem to have a lot of She's even like me as a Lucy Ricardo. She's like she's oh yeah, she's she, meddlesome. She she's She didn't seem to have a lot seems... of agency to me. I don't know, maybe it's just the way she plays the part in this episode. I mean, episode, she has agency. But, yeah. She flat out says I'm going to give you I'm going to be your surrogate yeah, mom. But kind like of that's on a whim. She's just not even thinking about but it. But she still she's does got, it, kind of kind of a dingbat. She struck okay. me as being a dingbat. Um Terry Hatcher struck me as the Lucille Ball character. She had a lot of agency. Mm. She was really funny. She was really engaged. She had ideas. Um, I I really liked watching her. Felicity Huffman was like the one human in this group. (laughs) Like, she's actually responding to things in a really kind of realistic way. And uh, she's in the midst of a big drama. First of all, she's pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, Which it never comes up. Yeah, it, it never comes up. I don't know if that's been a big... It seems like that would be a big plot point at some point. Like she'd been trying to get pregnant or she wasn't trying to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Now Who's she the is. father? Who knows? I don't yeah. know. It's not important in this episode. Yeah. But her son, another boring, bland white guy. Is, With a mustache. Yeah. You can this tell him apart because he has a mustache. Yeah. It could have been the same actor putting on a mustache <laughs> for, for all as, as good as it does. But he's about to marry essentially a cartoon she's gonna marry natasha go no good nick from rocky and bullwinkle she's yeah. like this evil 
a Russian. I'm not sure where she came from, but she's just been introduced into her into Felicity Huffman's life uh, relatively recently. Relatively it's a very recently, quick and, and they're about to get married that episode. And yeah. this, she is uh, like a super villainess. She treats everybody mm-hmm. badly. Yeah, she cusses out the mom. Mm-hmm. She's you know a sex pot in that sort of really sexist villainess sort of way that we see in TV all the time. Yeah, she looks like she looks like a like a 1980s era James Bond villain. Yeah, like that kind yeah, of yeah. that kind of mystique. Mm. And she's so she's going to get married to Felicity Huffman's son. Felicity Huffman doesn't trust her. Doesn't know anything about her. Doesn't know anything about her. And in fact, when they she insists on going to a Russian bridal shop, mm. which is just gives Felicity Huffman an excuse to commiserate with the proprietor of the shop over how unlikable this woman is. Uh-huh. And then when she gets on her phone with some yelling Russian guy, uh-huh. the person who owns the shop tells her what's really happening, and apparently he threatened her like to, to, to tell, e- tell her about the co- to tell the cops about her. Yeah, to expose so, her in some way. So she immediately runs to ICE mm. and says you have to uh, deport her and she talks to some guy and the guy's just like well okay I admit that sounds bad but we don't have any evidence Mm. so I'm not just going to do anything about that you would actually need to tell me some reason to actually be concerned and she's like you're a single man you have no idea what I'm talking about so she scours the the cubicles and finds a woman who has like pictures of like a son and someone he's Mm. married to and she's like oh is that your 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 daughter-in-law she's like yeah you get along she says no I have something to tell you now (laughs) so she has the, to like, and the way Felicity Huffman does it, it doesn't seem like a sitcom scheme. It seems like something an intelligent person might do. Yeah. It, seems, it seems almost reasonable I did when like, she does it. I did like that the show acknowledged that there is at least a chance she is wildly overreacting. Mm-hmm. But sure enough, that ends up being even worse than we thought. Um, so she is trying to get uh, Irina is the name of mm-hmm. the Russian woman her, her son is marrying. She tries to get her passport number so she can give it to ICE and they can do a background check. And while she is, like, rummaging through her stuff, mm. Irina and her son come in. And start having sex. They start having sex. And there's this really funny bit where she see, she hears them come up the stairs and they're talking all sexy. And she can't run outside because it's a bedroom and there's only one door. So she, like, opens the closet. But the closet is full of stuff. And she has this great double take. Which she's like, ah! <laughs> Silent arms akimbo. Ah! And then she has to hide behind the opened closet door with mm. slats while her son and her potential future daughter-in-law are talking about how nosy she is and how annoying she is while they're about to have dirty sex. So she texts her husband, mm. who is in the middle of teaching their son how to drive, and he's like, <laughs> we have to get home. Your mother's in trouble. And the kid's just like, where I we're can... going, we don't need yeah. roads, baby. Like, he starts... he's, get, get out, student driver, I'm going to drive. We need to go fast. And, and the teenager says, oh, I can go fast. <laughs> Which is pretty funny. Yeah. Um, she ends up getting herself out of it by like re- reaching over, grabbing a baseball, and chucking it through the window to distract them. <laughs> All of that's real funny actually and then it's the day of the wedding the wedding can't start yet because the groom has lost his shoe Felicity Huffman hid his shoe even she admits that that's childish because we're in a Fred Astaire movie now yeah. and then and then she finally just says I wish I believed in God mm. and then I could pray to him and something nice would happen and then the ICE agent shows up and she's like I'll see you Sunday God <laughs> well she, she says I wish I went to church more often ah okay yeah. And then uh, she goes to confront Irina. It turns out that Irina has been married several times. And different names, might still be married to uh-huh. several of those men. Uh, she, she built many of them out of money. And Irina just says, go ahead, 
tell him whatever you want. I am young and I am sexy and I got him wrapped around my finger and he'll believe whatever I told him. He's right behind me, isn't he? And he is. <laughs> and there's a sweet moment after that because the fact of the matter is Felicity Huffman was proven right, mm-hmm. but there was a decent chance that she was overreacting and mm-hmm. that she was that just could have alienated right. her son. Absolutely. Yeah. And I like that at the end he is genuinely hurt by her. She did yeah. the right thing. He's probably glad he didn't marry that woman. But mm-hmm. at the same time, his mother went behind his back and didn't trust him. And that stings, too. And she has a really nice speech to him about how she knows she hurt him. Mm. And that she would do it again if she had to because she thinks it was the right thing to do. And he knows he hates her. And she says, you can hate me as long as you want. You can mm-hmm. hate me for years. And when, it's, and when you're done hating me, I will be right here. But I hope it's soon. Because I miss you already. Aww. And I was like, you know, that's nicely yeah, that's handled by Felicity And then... Oh, and then there's the subplot with John Barrowman. Well, hold, we gotta, we got to finish up the arena subplot, though. Oh, oh, yeah. Because yeah. there's one more thing. As she's, like, walking to a hotel, mm-hmm. uh, her... Felicity Huffman's son's best friend... I guess he was going to be the best friend at the wedding. Picks her up. Says, I'll give you a ride. And he starts coming on to her. And she basically just says, I'm out of your league. I didn't come to this country to, to fuck some teenager uh-huh. uh, who doesn't have any money. And he gets f- freaked out and he fucking murders her. And that's when we realize that this subplot they've been teasing about all these missing girls in the newspapers and none of the protagonists are reading the newspaper. Mm. It's because one of them is like letting a serial killer into her house every day. And I'm like, <laughs> oh shit, that's actually really scary. But that's not the only scary subplot. And we keep cutting to John Barrowman. Mm. John Barrowman, again from Torchwood, of uh, Arrow, really mm. likable actor. He is in a coffee shop and he's got his computer in front of him, and the barista mm. says to him, hey, what's what you doing, man? He's like, oh, I'm writing a novel. Now, dime a dozen oh. here in a coffee shop. And he's like, well, what, what's he writing about? And he tells a story about a guy who's very obviously John Barrowman. Mm, who was ditched by his wife and, yeah, and she, ran away and started a new life and took all his money, and he was so mad. I'm at the point where the, the guy's caught up with his ex-wife and is about to confront her and... The the barista says, "Oh, that's cool. Is he gonna murder her?" <laughs> uh, kind of. He asks what. He asks. And John Berman says, "Wow, what a great idea!" Giving says, like planting a seed in his mind. What he says is, "This guy has finally tracked this woman down. She not mm. only broke his heart, but she stole his kid." Mm. And he doesn't know what to do next. And he's like, "I thought it was a romance, but it just keeps getting darker." And the guy's like, "What he should do is kill her, man." Mm. And John Berman's like, "Yeah, you're right." And I'm just like, "This priest has no idea. He just got someone killed." <laughs> and then John Berman like goes over to someone's house. I didn't even get a good look at the actor. And it's not, it's not someone we know and that we've been seeing for the rest of the show. And he's just sort of just like leering at her through the window. Eh, eh, eh. Mm. And then he's at the coffee shop the next day, and it's like, yeah, the guy went over to her house and couldn't figure out what to do. And the guy's just like, he didn't kill her? It's like, no, it seemed like not enough. It's like, what the guy should do is take the kid. And John Barrowman's just like, you're good at this. <laughs> Which is weird and funny and super creepy and at the I, same time. And it's, I, 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 I like that. It was weird. Because I'm used to him playing... Uh, uh, Captain Jack Harkness. I expected him to be flirting with the barista. I thought he I thought was. That, I thought they were having. They were going to like start some sort of affair. But, John yeah. Barrowman just has this ubiquitous sex appeal. Like mm. everyone he talks to, you get the impression that something could happen. <laughs> That's just kind of his vibe. Uh-huh. So I get that. And I actually thought I saw some flirtation there too. But mm. yeah, he's like super duper creepy, and he's not even the serial killer. <laughs> and it's super weird that we got these like ultra sitcom type subplots for the most part. Mm. Well, there's a fucking serial killer and a stalker slash kidnapper slash potential murderer out there. 
And I'm just like, I don't know I'm if this un- is a funny episode or if this well, is a typical I'm- episode or if we're just building up because it's late in the season. Maybe they're building some huge finale. On the paper, all of these things are super creepy, you know, stalking outside people's houses, murdering people. But the the overall tone of the series has been so light that it seemed like we were supposed to sort of chuckle in dark humor at these things. Like, oops, committed murder. How no, impossible well, is yeah. this? Yeah. Okay, you're not going to believe what happened. I just killed this woman. You know, it's it, one of those situations. So the tone didn't shift so dramatically that it seemed like they're going to go to some really dark place. The lighting shifted. Did you notice that? Everything well, it's all at, gloomy. It's, it's all at night. It's all night scenes after that. But still, the, yeah. you don't have to light a night scene like that. The scene where John Barrowman is stalking that woman outside her house, mm. that is shot like a slasher movie. Mm. But you're right. The tone of it's the same. And as I was talking about, the whole show has this really arch kind of phoniness to it. And it's kind of like, well, I think and, as, and as the narrator, so it all feels like super fictional. And I think it has a better tone than what I'm about to compare it to, and the, the writing is clever, and the acting mm. is generally better, but it reminded me a little bit of a Hallmark movie. <laughs> and if you listen to like our other podcasts, I review Hallmark Christmas movies every year. And one of the things I like about Hallmark movies is that they're ironic and unironic at the same time. Mm. And you can appreciate them on this totally superficial kind of level and it's just sort of and here's the plot and everything and it's it's broad but you can just sort of lose yourself in it and you can simultaneously watch it ironically and just go God, I can't believe they're doing this <laughs> what, a, what a horrible cliche but uh, I'm invested I'm genuinely invested okay and I think that's the tone that I'm getting out of this episode and as I was watching the episode I realized you know what I think I like Desperate Housewives. And I think that's the real question for the well, randomizer is like, would you watch, do you want to go back and watch the show from the beginning? I, I was in, not necessarily invested, but I was interested enough to maybe necessarily see, maybe see something else. Like mm-hmm. if it was on, it's like, oh, that's an okay show. Mm-hmm. I'll watch Desperate Housewives. I, I wasn't put off. I wasn't bored. Um, I, I jibed with the tone. I think since I've seen GCB, mm-hmm. which I think is the same show, but much better. I'm not as driven to watch Desperate Housewives. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate that the characters are all terrible protagonists. Like, mm-hmm. they're just, they do terrible things. And in, I'm not sure if this is a theme of the show or a theme of the entire series where it's all based around good intentions that fail. Because hmm. that is the the theme of every single subplot, uh, apart from John Barrowman's. It's about trying to help somebody mm-hmm. and. Yeah, coming about to ruin. Yeah. Felicity Huffman did it right. It kind of turned out okay for her. It might not have, but though. yeah, it might not have. Easily could have been backfired. And on you know, a real Terry bat. Hatcher had sort of a light one. Well, I'm going to help my husband by stuffing sod down a drain. That's kind of funny. It was a funny bit. I'm, I'm going to help this man by bringing him into my business, even though he's probably a scam artist. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's. I'm going to help my neighbors, even though it. I ended up breaking them apart. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm not sure if that's supposed to be something that we're running with every single episode, that that's what these characters are. They have really great intentions, yeah. but they're so terrible at what they do that they just mess up everybody else's lives. And I like that. And that's an interesting point to start with, but I'm not sure if that's necessarily a good theme for the kind of dramedy that the show would have continued to be. But I think if you look at it mostly as a soap opera with a certain... I wouldn't say camp value because they're obviously mm. going for it. A certain cheese value, a certain broadness to it. Mm. 
What this show does right that I made me fall in love with a show like As the World Turns is there is a real sense of the whole community. And mm-hmm. I think that's something a lot of primetime soaps sometimes miss and that they only focus on like a tight-knit group of characters. Yeah. But here you really get a sense of the the character of the town. I think the the narrator helps with that a little bit, but even mm-hmm. just the side characters, the people who work at different businesses or whatever, mm-hmm. they all feel like they belong in this fictionalized Space, yeah. yeah. The whole show has a character to it, mm-hmm. and that character is something I can really picture myself watching over and over and over again. And the idea of good intentions falling apart and having unexpectedly really dark consequences, as we see by the end of this, um, that can work too. It's a tricky balance, and I'm really fascinated because this is the show lasted eight seasons. Mm-hmm. This is a show from towards the end of season six. Now, most shows by season six have started kind of falling apart a little bit. Well, they, they start losing their focus. They, they get a bunch ratchet of characters. up the drama. And I feel that's what we're witnessing here. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to bring this up, actually. Um, yeah, we're, when we have murder all of a sudden, I'm not sure how many murders there have been on the show up to this point. Either zero or 50. Yeah. Like, it could be either. We have no way. Like, it feels and like the kind of show where maybe it's super common. Maybe I'm, it's never happened. I'm guessing there have been murders on the show before. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there haven't been, this is sweeps crap and they're really trying to keep your attention. <laughs> like, the show has already peaked and now we're pulling out the super dramatic stuff because we have nothing left. The, we've explored the characters to the depths we can. We did that in the first four or five seasons, mm-hmm. and now all we have left is like things that are far too dramatic for these people to deal with. This is total hearsay, and I just mm-hmm. kind of vaguely remember what people were because t- I remember when the show debuted and everyone was talking about it. Yeah, it's like it's really good. You should check it out. And I was just like, no, I'm too busy Other playing things. video games or whatever it was. I was <laughs> Desperate doing. Housewives, pachaw. But um, I, if memory serves, I think it was sort of marketed. And again, if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. We know that's the point of the randomizer. <laughs> but I, this is what I remember. I remember it being kind of marketed as just another sort of primetime soap opera. Got a couple recognizable names in there. Mm. Um, and then I think people were a little taken aback because then something happened. And I think maybe there ended up being a murder mystery okay. for a while. But I don't know how much that mm. was. I, that could have been for one episode, a season, mm. still going in the background. And we never resolved it. I have no idea. Mm. Um so I think there was an element in there consistently, and the way that they treat it as this sort of insidious undercurrent of evil that everyone's kind of oblivious to feels like it's something they're continually they're they're continuing thematically. Mm. This because again, obliviousness is another part of that where you think you're doing the right thing and you're doing the wrong thing. So everyone's kind of wrapped up in their own shtick, and they're um. kind of missing the fact that on top of oh, my husband's plumbing business isn't doing great, or oh, my cookbook might not be a thing. Mm. Uh, Meanwhile, the the other neighbor neighbors are having shunting parties down the way. Well, people's children are going missing. There mm. there are kids dying. There are teenagers who are going missing throughout the town, and it just hasn't happened to any of these people yet. Mm. They can really play with that. And I'm kind of curious where they go with that. Um, well, you know what? Here's your spinoff for Desperate Housewives. Mm. First of all, you have to call it Wisteria Lane. That's the only logical thing to do. Mm-hmm. But it's about a detective who's solving all of the side crimes. Simultaneously? Simultaneously. Like, so, like, concur- well, all these concurrently with the show. That could be kind of funny. Yeah, you said, I, you said it at the same span that the show took I hope it's a female over. detective, though, because I do like... That perspective, I don't like the idea of just like, oh, we're going to do Desperate Housewives. We're going to do it from a man's point of view. Oh, I'm like, no, I don't give no, a shit. No, no, like no, that's no. that that would ruin everything. Like, this I is think. a show about women. Let's yeah, keep it about women. I, and I like that. And I like that. And honestly, I like the whole cast. Mm-hmm. I think everyone's great. 
Um, um, Marsha Cross. Marsha Cross Marcia, rubs me the wrong way. Okay, Marsha Cross doesn't have much to do in this episode, mm. though. Like, I'm, I'm hesitant to say Marsha Cross is like the weak link in the cast based on one episode we picked at random. <laughs> She's the weak link in this episode. Well, her whole, I'll say that. Much. Yeah, okay, I can, I can give you that because her plot is her being manipulated the whole time mm. in a very conventional uh, uh, almost trite kind of yeah. TV plot. So she didn't get to like go above and beyond the way. What I did like for her though was she fires her son. Her son walks off, mm. and fake son goes. Heh, heh, heh. And then later on, he's just like, "Well, it's a good thing that guy's out of the picture." And she's like, "No, he's my son. I'll rehire him." Oh. And she's he's like, "What? Yeah, we do this a lot. He walks away. <laughs> I hire him back. He's my son. I'm always going to love him, and I'm never and I'll never really betray him." And fake son's just like, "Oh, that didn't, that's not part of my scheme. Uh, my scheme is to steal you for something. What do you think his deal is?" Not well. She's I mean, not he's, that wealthy, like, and and and, what's, and what's, her and her finances are like in, are in dire straits, and he knows it. Like he he knows that she needs this book to be a success. Is he obsessed with her? Do you think? Do you think he wants like March Across to be his mom? Oh, like in a weird sort of serial killer sleeping uh, with the enemy sort uh, of way. Maybe I don't know. Like I couldn't get a beat well, I, on it. I I only I don't thought know what that his he was. I thought he was trying to scam her out of money. Like the he was. Or maybe he's on the run from the law. He's he's clearly some sort of serial criminal. Uh, you, you know what he probably wants? Like he's probably like mm. he probably had like a really shitty time growing up, and then he finds out this guy's his brother, and he has mm. this like perfect mom and perfect life, and he's no, wealthy and happy. No, he wants the perfect life in this sort of suburb. Yeah, exactly. He's kind of like sort of stepson instead of the stepfather, there you like go. that kind yeah. of thing. How many serial criminals do you think have shown up on the show? Because there are like eight in this episode. Well, alone. you got to look at any. You look at any suburban mm. street. You know, like any any sort of, let's say, six square blocks of suburbia. Mm. What do you say? There's like two active serial killers in any one of those. Oh, well, like, yeah, I suppose there. I know. I there's going to be someone who's done something wrong. I understand like, there are a lot of criminals out at large in the suburbs, like, but you, well, I remember like in the. Top, you know, it seems like they all moved to this particular suburb, and all the characters like know somebody personally who's a serial criminal of some kind. Well, it's, it's sort of like. Um, Marsha Cross has a line in this to fake son about yeah. how, listen, we've all pushed the line, we've all stepped mm. over the line, and that doesn't make you a bad person. I presume she's done it too and is actually being rather wise uh-huh. and just realizing I'm not going to judge you based on, you know, you didn't tell me you didn't officially have your MBA. You should have their worst crimes. I'm going to let this slide. I'm reminded of a line from the remake of The Thomas Crown Affair when Renee Russo mm. is talking to Pierce Brosnan and she thinks he's like stolen a painting. And she asks him, like, how big a criminal are you? And he says, like, well, it depends. Financially, I'm a huge criminal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, I've done a lot of, like, tax cheats and everything. I've done all of that stuff. When it comes to painting, just paint just the one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the sort of thing where it's just like, you know, probably over the course of most soap operas, people do horrible things. And mm-hmm. then, like, half a season later, once the lie is revealed or whatever, yeah. people tend to get over it. Mm-hmm. So I imagine everyone on the show has probably done something super terrible by now. And we've all yeah. just sort of moved on with our lives because they're in a community mm. and we're supposed to care about them. Well, and also, kind of show we where darkness to, exists with the light. We have to move on with the stories and we can't really have them face the music, otherwise, the show would be over. I wish there were shows in which, like, people really dealt with ongoing emotional scars the way people do in real life. Mm. Like, you'll see, like, in a movie, like, ah, oh, I can't believe I had to shoot my 
father yeah. to save my dog or some crazy shit. Like some really horrible life event that anyone else, that life event would be one of the things that defines you and imprints on you mm-hmm. and colors the way you look at the world and like makes you doubt yourself forever and it takes years of therapy to get functional again. And here, two episodes later, you have like a cathartic moment and then they never talk about it again. Yeah, I, That always pisses me keep off. It when I watch keep it moving, keep it moving, keep it moving. That, that pisses me off and I, I, I love it when shows actually let those those scars linger like you look at something like angel where mm-hmm. he was a guy who did really horrible things when he was a vampire and although there are Wait, moments th- of his life he's still a vampire he's still a vamp- he? okay there's the idea in I, the I don't Vamp- know anything from angel the, so, the yeah. idea in buffy the vampire slayer is that when you become a vampire mm-hmm. you're actually you lose your soul Okay, that's the idea, and that's why you can do such horrible things. You're undead, yeah. Yeah, Like you're, you're like kind of possessed by like a demon, kind of, Uh, and like so you're you, but you don't have a conscience anymore, and you'll do really terrible things. Okay. Um, and what Angel is cursed to do after he kills like a whole family, and there's like a gypsy warlock or something who curses him, and says, "I'm not just going to kill you. I want you to live your life as an immortal with a soul." And all oh, of a sudden, his conscience back. yeah. And all of a sudden, he remembers every fucking horrible thing, like all the people mm-hmm. he's murdered and tortured. And then it actually like takes him like a century to get his shit together again and even be halfway functional. <laughs> and then the, for this whole series, he's really dealing with he doesn't think he's worthy of mm-hmm. redemption or love. And they handled that pretty well, I think, okay. over the course of the thing. But like a lot of shows, they just gloss over that shit and move on. And it really bothers me as someone, you know, like with an emotional, inner emotional life who've had good and bad things happen to them mm. that I still wrestle with. And like in, in, in movies and TV, they just sort of move on. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, I, I find it, you need, I find it you unrealistic. Need, well, you need consistency of character. I understand, especially on a long running TV series, you tune in because you want to see the person as that person. Mm-hmm. And if they do something that is so dramatic that it fundamentally changes the character, well, that's the thing you need to say for near the end of the series when you know you're about the final season, mm. when you know you're about to go off the air. And that's when you can pull out like the big romance or the big murder or the big crime or whatever, mm. the, the big trauma, because that's when you can finally afford to fundamentally change a character. But at the same time, if the character never undergoes anything resembling real drama that potentially could change their lives, the show can get can stagnate. So you want to well, have the, the, my, my point the, is I think this is how sta- this happens. The stakes have to stay at a certain level. Well, I think that's my point is I think that's how this happens. You have like a sweeps week, huge disaster, and someone dies. And, yeah, because um, you want to just make sure their lives are consistently dramatic, and every mm. once in a while it spikes, and then. Uh, you do want to get back, though, <laughs> to them the way they were. Mm. And it ends up kind of neutralizing how important that moment was. <laughs> um, anyway. Mm. So, uh, Desperate Housewives. So, you, you would you would watch more if you, I, if you had I, the opportunity? I, maybe I'd see one or two more episodes to see mm. sort of how it shapes out. But I, I, I have no burning desire to go back from episode one and kind of see how I got to this point. Mm-hmm. The, there wasn't so much mystery that I needed to explore it. Uh, again, I, uh, I'm a soap opera guy. Mm. I, I grew up watching daytime soaps. And this scratched an itch that I hadn't <laughs> felt in a while because Gas World Turns has been canceled for like 10 years now. Yeah, yeah. And so watching this, I, I got some of that vibe. I enjoyed it. It's way too long for me to delve into, but I have a feeling that if I ever have to convalesce or something <laughs> where I'm just like, ah, oh, I'm bedridden for like, I have mono, this sucks. Mm. Like, I'm just going to be in bed for a while. This seems like the show I might put on Hulu. Oh, and like, just, just burn through it kind of casually in and out. Mm. Like, it, it feels like a good fit for that. So yeah, ultimately, I liked it. Um, I, 
oh no, how interesting this was. <laughs> like, I didn't think, because there are going to be people who love Desperate Housewives who are going to tell us that we're right about something or wrong about something or mm-hmm. that we're misinterpreting what the show is or what it was about and who the characters were. And I'd be actually, and I'm, if you're thinking that, Send us an email, like, at canceltoosoon at gmail.com, or tweet us. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. We're both at Canceled Cast. If you're a Patreon subscriber, like, leave a comment under this episode. Um, because I'm curious, and that's actually kind of the point in this, is to sort of engage with you in case you you are a bigger fan. Um, if you're not a fan, I, I don't know what you're getting out of this episode other than what <laughs> we're getting out of it, which is basically, here's a random episode of a TV show. Oh. Because um, we, I specifically didn't do any research on this. No, not me neither. Normally when we do Cancel Too Soon, I at least try to go through the rudimentary research. It, who made it? Yeah. When did it come out? In what context? Were there other shows like it? Um, and here, I just, like, I, I remember when it came out. Never saw an episode. And, uh, yeah, kind of dug it. Right. I kind of like this Desperate Housewives thing. I totally get why it was a. I get why it was a hit. Okay, like I can see why this was popular. You know, uh, I, I I do get the sense that the show had already crested, however, yeah. and we were on the downswing. All right, so if we continue the randomizer, mm-hmm. uh, what are some shows that you would like to get to? Shows that you've heard of that you know were long um, running but you never watched at all. Well, there are so many like huge, huge ones that uh, like everyone's super familiar with, and I kind of know about as a result stuff like The Sopranos. Yep, um, I, I saw the I've, pilot, but that's it. Yeah, I I've never seen The Sopranos. I've tried The Wire, and I just couldn't get into that. So maybe a late episode of The Wire might, oh, that might be, be a good. Re- okay, I've sell. seen The Wire. Uh-huh. The Wire is so like ornate. I have no idea what you get out of a late episode of The Wire. <laughs> really, that would be reading um, like a random five pages in the back half of a Dickens novel. Like it'd be so wow. weird. Um, I've I've seen a lot of Law and Order, but I have not seen any Homicide, which has crossed over with Law and Order. Which is also from like uh, the film people who did The Wire. So mm-hmm. like I'd be very curious to see that as well. I've never saw that show either. Okay. I remember hearing good things. Maybe. Chicago Hope came up earlier. I've never seen mm-hmm. a Chicago Hope. <laughs> I've never seen a Saint Elsewhere either. Nor have I. Uh, we, we've talked about L.A. Law. That would yep. be a fun one to explore. That would be fun to explore. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I've ever seen Gunsmoke. Okay. So going back a little older, I think I might have as a kid, but I, if I can't point it out, then I might effectively haven't. I know I watched a few episodes of Bonanza, but I've I've never seen a Gunsmoke to the best mm. of my knowledge. I've never seen this might be embarrassing. Mm. All in the Family. Okay, yeah, that's, that's one uh, might come up. Just a big uh, big tent pole, but yeah, it'd you know, be kind of cool to actually go back and do like a daytime soap opera. Like oh, a, there you like go. go back to like a random <clears throat> general hospital or one life to live or one of the ones I didn't watch. You know, dark like, shadows. <laughs> I've seen some dark shadows oh, okay. though. Although there are different versions of dark shadows, mm. so maybe one of them would be okay, and others wouldn't. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. What else? I never watched. I never mm. watched. Uh, well, you, Parenthood. Can... I've never seen. Mm. Um, I think I caught half an episode of Modern Family once. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't really into it. I haven't, yeah, I haven't seen any Modern Family. Yeah, everyone um, talks about it. No idea. Mm. Sure, is, it's, is I'm sure it, it's is fine. It, is it still on Modern yeah, Family? I think so. Okay. I don't know. It's one of those shows. I just don't know. One Tree Hill was on the poll. I've always been sort of yeah. vaguely curious about. All I know is that there's a tree on the hill, but there's only one of them. Like that's it. And, it, and that's different from The Hills. Yes, The Hills was a reality yeah, show. I, I actually watched The Hills. Oh, okay, that's one of the few reality shows I actually <laughs> watch with any regularity because uh, it was bizarre. Um, and The OC would be an interesting one to look into. Yeah, I've seen clips from The OC, like little bits of like. 
like famous moments from the OC, but I've never mm. actually watched an episode. Right. Um, I the, now I'm sure I saw from, an episode of 90210 when it was on TV. The new 90210 or old 90210? Oh uh, well, sh- I I watched that with okay. something approaching a regularity, so um, I'm, I'm pretty familiar with Beverly Hills 90210. Vampire Diaries I never watched. Yeah. Um, trying to think what else. There's a lot of like WB shows that just like go on for forever. Shows. Yeah. Or just those shows that just, like, they aren't hits, but they last forever anyway, mm-hmm. and you're kind of surprised that they're still on the air. I haven't seen Hercules or Xena. You've like, never I, seen a Hercules or Xena? I, I think I saw one of one. I saw one Xena episode wow. once. Wow. See, I watched... And I, and I remember where... I watched in and out Like, I've was, seen a bunch, but never, like, in order or anything. Ted Raimi was like a caveman. Like he was reading, he was reading a caveman story, and he was hit with some sort of magic spell that made him think he was a caveman. That sounds like Xena. Yeah, yeah. that sounds like a Xena story. <laughs> that, that's the, Xena that's all. Re- that's all I remember. I, I watched. I've probably seen like a dozen episodes of Hercules and Xena here or there, and yeah. they're they're Xena in particular is pretty great because Xena had a good sense of humor about itself. So yeah, that'd be that'd be sweet. Well, and people picked oh. up on the queer subtext of that show super early on. Yeah, it's like oh, yeah. Xena and Gabrielle are definitely lovers, and so they kept playing with that, like putting them naked in hot tubs together. And stuff. I know you watched it but i've never seen an episode of burn notice oh i like burn notice there you go that's mm. another one uh right there i've i've never seen an episode of what's that leave schreiber show oh tate donovan yeah <laughs> ray donovan ray donovan tate donovan's seen... just an actor <laughs> i love to see leave schreiber play ray if they tate donovan like, remember that time i made love potion number nine the whole season about it it was great um, so there's a lot and I think if you think about it there's probably a lot of big shows that you've never really delved into even mm-hmm. though you've heard about them uh, maybe they're not your genre maybe they were before your time maybe you were just watching other things when they were on and you always meant to get back around to it mm-hmm. that's what the randomizer is just look at a random show look at a random episode see what we can see mm-hmm. so uh, we have one more uh, bonus podcast uh, to pitch to y'all and that'll come in uh, late uh, this week. We know this episode was a little late. Sorry about that. Uh, as you recall, we've already had uh, Cancel Too Soon, The Home Game. We review uh, defunct game shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Average Fest, in which we review the most mediocre movies ever made. This was, of course, <laughs> The Randomizer. And yeah. next, we have a show called All the Best, in which we review every Best Picture nominee. Now, uh, I, I thought we were going to be a little less ambitious about this, and we we're going to do one episode per nominee, but yeah. uh, that would take far too long. That would we would we would spending half our lives doing that. Yeah, like, yeah. that's insane. So, especially gonna, if we do it on like a monthly basis, which is probably what we're going to do. Yeah. So, so one movie a month wouldn't wouldn't cut it. So we'll do one year a month. That's right. So the first. So we're going to start with the first ever Academy Awards. There were three nominees for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. There's the film that won Wings, the one you heard of. <laughs> uh, you probably heard of that. It's the only silent movie to win Best Picture at the Academy Awards. Even the up, artist up has in... sound. Yeah, okay, it has synchronized sound. This is a silent movie. Um, and there were two other nominees, which no one ever talks about. Uh, I believe it's a gangster picture called The Racket, mm-hmm. and a movie called Seventh Heaven, which I actually haven't done a lot of research on yet, so I'm not entirely sure what it's about. I, I watched a little bit of Seventh Heaven. So okay, I'm, what, what, I'm what, starting what, up. what's the vibe? Like, what uh, is it? It's. Um, I think it's a comedy. It's like sort of like a crime comedy about people who are trying to escape their desperate circumstances. Okay. Well, that sounds cool. Those are two movies. That, the Wings has been referenced a lot lately because it was one of the influences on Ryan Johnson's Star Wars Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. 
So a lot of people are talking mm. about Wings lately, but no one ever talks about The Racket or Seventh Heaven. So I'm actually just excited to just watch those. <laughs> um, so we're going to review that later this week. Again, the episode will be exclusive to Patreon for two days, and then it will be available uh, to the general public. And then once all the episodes have been out for a few days, uh, we're going to have a poll on Patreon. Mm. All of our Patreon subscribers get to uh, a vote in the poll, and you're all going to decide en masse which of these bonus podcasts will be taken to series and will become a new Patreon-exclusive podcast. So stick around. That's going to be really, really cool. We have a new episode of Cancel Too Soon about the failed sci-fi pilot for a f- series called White Dwarf, <laughs> starring Neil McDonough from, Le- from Legends of Tomorrow, also produced by Francis Ford Coppola. Which I didn't realize oh, until. Oh, I, that's right, it was. It's super I weird. I put that together. It's good synergy because we just did another Francis Ford Coppola failed sci fi pilot. Um, so it's super weird. I haven't seen it since it came out. I remember even at the time thinking, how is this a series? Like, what are you, <laughs> you going to do? It's a sci fi surgery show on another colonial planet? Mm. What? Colon- colonial steampunk sci fi surgery show. And the only one of its kind. It writes itself, apparently. Um, so that's going on there. And don't forget, coming up on Cancel Too Soon proper, the second annual SUNY Awards, in which we look at the best, worst, and weirdest shows, performances, episodes, cliffhangers, theme songs that we've encountered on Cancel Too Soon. And we're going to have uh, an announcement in the next proper Cancel Too Soon episode, a call for everyone to vote for their favorite episode of Cancel Too Soon from the last year, and we're going to pick two random winners from the people who vote hmm. to select a future episode of Cancel Too Soon. You get to pick the show we do, and if you get the runner-up prize, you get to do the Cancel Too Soon monthly movie and tell us to watch a TV movie, miniseries, special, any sort of one-off. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's your opportunity to get involved and force us to cover whatever it is you want us to cover. Yeah. Um, so a lot of cool stuff coming up. Um, stick around. Don't forget we're on Patreon.com slash Canceled Too Soon. We're going to be making a few alterations, give you a few new types of content in addition to the new show. Um, so we're going to make a few changes in May. Stick around for that. We'll make some official announcements soon. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we got a 100th episode coming up, and there's going to be some real exciting stuff there, which are going to do some of our most requested shows ever. That's right. It's going to be a big, big time for Cancel Too Soon. I love doing it. It's a show, great man. time to be canceled. Ah. Oh, wait. No, no. I said ah. it. I cursed it. I cursed it. Anyway, thank you, everybody, for, for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the randomizer. Uh, again, you'll have an opportunity to vote for this real soon, assuming this is the one you like the best. And um, that's a wrap, folks. We'll see you next season. Thank you.